my life was a three kilometer radius. So I didn't go further. In the last three years of my disorder, I didn't go for, I didn't go more than three kilometers home for three years. So it was like this mental prison. So for people with agoraphobia is basically, when they get panic attacks, they fear the panic so much that they basically stop living. They stop getting on buses, they stop getting on trains, they stop, because this panic is always within them. And they feel that the panic is gonna kill them or give them a heart attack or make them go crazy. They find almost refuge in their house or their place of comfort with their safe people. So they stay stuck in that. Welcome back. My guest today is Glenn Murphy. Now, Glenn is someone who suffered from anxiety and agoraphobia for 10 years. From the age of 18 to 28, he couldn't go further than a three kilometer radius of his front door in Dublin. Fast forward, he is now a successful business coach, helping people overcome anxiety and agoraphobia. He runs marathons and he is thriving. This is a story of overcoming dark times and overcoming your fears. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Glenn, it's great to have you on the podcast today, mate. Thank you for taking the time to come on. We've messaged a few times before recording today, so I'm really excited to share your story with the listener. I think they're going to love it. It's going to be a story of of darkness, the things you went through with anxiety and agoraphobia, but it's also going to be a story of how you overcome that. And I think with that being such a pertinent issue, with anxiety being such a big issue, in, in especially in Western cultures these days, it's amazing to have someone come on and, and share their story and be so open and honest, especially in male mental health. So thank you for doing that, mate. Uh, for those who aren't aware of your story or where it all began, are you right giving an introduction? So yeah, just basically, so my name is Glenn. I'm from Dublin, Ireland, and I'm currently living in Paris. Um, and when I get into the the story of where I got to Paris it's kind of a miracle how I'm even here to be honest but mm. um I'm I just turned 32 there in February so you know getting on in, in elder years grey years appearing <laughs> but um yeah I'll, I'll start just from my story Tom um so I had you know my stories is, is about panic attacks anxiety well anxiety disorder for 10 years panic attacks and something that's called agoraphobia and maybe some people listen don't aren't fully aware of and they've probably never heard of agoraphobia or they think of oh that just means you can't leave your house you know to, to the severe form agoraphobia is like people have heard to leave their house and all that i didn't have but for like for 10 years like i had an anxiety disorder but i didn't have you know severe agoraphobia for afraid to leave my house i was almost out all the time well literally my life was a three kilometer radius. So I didn't go further. In the last three years of my disorder, I didn't go for, I didn't go more than three kilometers from home for three years. So it was like this mental prison. So for people with agoraphobia is basically, when they get panic attacks, they fear the panic so much that they basically stop living. They stop getting on buses, they stop getting on trains, they stop because this panic is always within them. And they feel that the panic gonna kill them or give them a heart attack or make them go crazy they find almost refuge in their house or their place of comfort with their safe people so they stay stuck in that and life just passes by very very quickly with that type of disorder you because it's a disorder you feel that oh the more 
because when you're pushing out of it, you'll feel more anxious. But when you start to retreat and stay in your house, you don't, you have less anxiety. So you think it's working. Okay, I'm gonna, you know, I'm getting refuge and building myself back up. We're actually doing something, you know, so counterproductive that it's making the disorder worse. So agoraphobia is basically fear of, you know, going far from home, going far from your safe place in fear of having a panic attack that you can't escape from, that you can't get home quick enough, which is why I never left more than a three kilometer radius because I could get home quick. Yeah. You know, I could get home to all my safe people, my mom, my auntie, stuff like that. So yeah, it all stems from panic attacks. And my life was like that for 10 years, Tom. Um, it was severely, severely bad. I would put myself in the the category of, you know, people with anxiety disorders, panic attacks, and I was definitely in the 1% crew. Um, like 10 years is a full decade, man. Like, you know, I, even in those, I couldn't work for nine, nine and a half years almost. Nine and a half years, I was on benefits in Ireland and 200 euro per week. Um, every job I tried, I left after a couple of days because I couldn't be there because of panic attacks. It was a complete living nightmare. And to be where I am now, living in a different country, man, I, sometimes I'm, I'm lost for words about my own recovery. And I'm almost recovered four years now. I recovered at age 28. And I get into the recovery story as we as we pop on, Tom. But, you know, I'm almost four years into recovery now and still I have these moments of, you know, life is so normalized now. You know, people that have these disorders, they when am I going to be normal again? When am I, I'm at that place now. You know, I'm at that place that I never thought I'd get to. I think I always believed in my heart, Tom, that I'd get out of it. Because I never give up. I always, I always try and, you know, I was always trying to find ways. Um, but in my mind, I was completely broken, you know. And mm. you have doubts about, like, is my life going to be like this forever? Like, how, I couldn't hold a relationship down with a girl. I couldn't, you know, I'd, I'd have you know, some girlfriends in the past and she they'd want to go on a night out or go collect them from work. I couldn't do that. And I, I'd be lying about things like, oh, I have to flu or that yeah. eats away at a man's soul. It eats away at a, a human being's soul, not just a man. Lots of women experience the exact same thing. The lawyers, the... Oh, it's horrible, man. It was really, it was a really tough time for all those years, man. It broke me many on many occasions. I had to pick myself back up and... Lost so much weight, couldn't go to gym, couldn't work. Was afraid to jog in case I have a heart attack. Stopped playing football because of I thought I'd collapse and die on the pitch. Lost all my friends. Um, and man, the list goes on. The list goes on. This is like this isn't just me. This is literally the life of people that have extreme forms of panic attacks and anxiety disorders. And led into agoraphobia. The cycle continues like that, yeah. you know. And it's what started it. Yeah, so it's the first. I'll move on to my first ever panic attack. Like a lot of people that have their first panic attack never even know what panic is. Like, never. Some people don't even know what anxiety is. Like feeling anxious. Like. So I was away on holidays with an ex girlfriend when I was eighteen years of age. I was in Lanzarote, um, and now I know where it's on. I just experienced this feeling of, I literally thought I was dying. I couldn't catch my breath. I was sweating. You know, and even now as I'm speaking about it, I can still remember that so clearly because that is always, 
imprinted into your mind that traumatic event. Um, but I've processed this so well over the years that it's, I can always talk about these things with, 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 with no problem at all. Um, I had this panic at 2 a.m. in the morning, okay? My girlfriend beside me, my ex-girlfriend, so she's asleep beside me, and I just jumped about bed. My heart is beating on my chest, okay? Um, and I had a couple of drinks that night, so I thought I puked, and like, but it wasn't stopping. I was, I was scared, man. I was terrified. And I rang my mom. And so it was 2 a.m. in Spain, Lanzarote, and it was 1 a.m. In, in Ireland, in Dublin, and my, and my mom was awake, luckily enough. Mm. I was like, mom, I don't know what's wrong with me, something's wrong here. And little, little did I know that my mom had panic attacks when she, when her mother, my grandmother passed away, she experienced panic attacks, so she knew mm. what they were. She said, Glenn, it sounds like you have a panic attack. She said, sit down, relax, get a drink, walk outside and walk up and down. So I done that. On the phone to my mom, oh, I'll never forget. It was the most fearful I've ever felt. I felt so far from home. All I wanted to do is go home to my mother. That's all I wanted. Yeah. You know, but the story continues because it, it's linked back to why did that happen? And I always wonder, why does, there's always a reason for panic that happened. So when I was a seven-year-old boy, a young kid, and... Um, when I was uh, lying in bed at night, I, I heard my father being physically abusive to my mom as a seven-year-old boy. And I remember getting up out of bed and I was like, I was shaking in that panic state. And I wanted to go in and stop it. And I was like, oh, I can't. And then I went back to bed and put the pillow over my head and cried my eyes out till the next morning. Mm. And woke up the next morning, I seen the cuts on my mom's face and the blood and awful to look at as a, as a young boy, you know. Physical abuse only ever happened once um, when my father and mom. He wasn't a nasty, nasty guy. He had his demons. Um, and I'm, I'm sure he regretted that for the rest of his life. You know, he's, he's passed away now, Lord rest him. Um, but that moment changed. I was almost destined to have panic attacks in the future. So my behavior started to be different right after that time. As a kid, I, I didn't know, as a kid, we suppress all that. We don't know how to express it. We express it in tears or, you know, ways of behavior. But Tom, looking back now, after my panic attack at age 18, having the disorder, I look back and say, of course, this is why I had it. Look at the behaviors that were instilled in me. Yeah. So at age seven, I was afraid to stay in people's houses. My auntie lived two doors down and I tried, I tried to stay in her house as an eight-year-old boy, nine, ten. And I'd cry in the middle of the night to go home to my mom because in my mind, I'm thinking that's happening again. And I can't sleep and I'm panicking as a kid. And I just want to go home to my mom. I needed to be with my mom at all time. I needed to be there to protect her. I knew I couldn't physically protect her, but my presence alone, if I could cry in the middle of the night to let my dad know that I'm here and he won't be physically abusive, you know? Yeah. So all these types of behaviors, um, I guess... Oh, like this happened even in my teens. But like I remember um, as in football, uh, I was quite a talented footballer back in the day. And we had like to go out to Amsterdam with our football team. And we were only 14 and 15. To me, like I was like, I'm, in my head, I'm like, I'm the only one not going. Of all my friends, all my best childhood friends are all gone. It's going to be great. And I was the only one not going. And... You know, my, my dad at the time was like, oh, just go, just go. And 
was like, oh, no, I feel homesick. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Uh, so to me, it was a homesickness thing. It was really panic and fear of um, what happened as a, a seven-year-old boy. So with that then, I got my girlfriend at age 16. I think then the love bug just hits you. Like you forget everything when you're just in love, you know, as a kid yeah. and you're, you know, you're buzzing and you're first kiss and all your first kind of, you know, encounters and stuff like that. So that all just took over my life. I forgot all about what happened to me, suppressed it all. Okay, everything's good. So we went on holidays to Lanzarote. Um, and that's when it happened. I was like, holy fuck, sorry for cursing. I'm, I'm, I'm far away from home here. Yeah. What, what if something's happening? And that's what sparked the panic attack. Um, and that little did I know I'd go on to suffer for 10 years from the age of 18 to 28. But it's, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating story to, to why these things happen. And yeah. So that's it just a little, bit, a little bit of the start of my uh, journey. It's amazing how trauma just manifests itself subconsciously. Like you held on to that and, and you learned that as you got older. So subsequently, after you came back from Lanzarote, what did life look like for you then? Oh, Tom, my whole life changed. Yeah. Everything changed. My, everything changed. I remember coming back and it was, it was a Sunday night, I remember. No, I was still shaking, man. Because I was home within I was home within more just over 24 hours. I was like, I'm getting out of here. Were you due to come home or did you come home early? Oh no. I had a two-week holiday and this happened on the first night. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was home within 24 hours and it was a Sunday. I remember getting home. I remember sitting at the end of my mom's bed, just shaking, rattling, and I was like, man, what's wrong with me? Like, so again, you're having panic attacks. You know, it's not dangerous. You know, it's going to happen to you. It's like, man, I feel like I'm going to collapse or something. Or there's something wrong with me, like, inside. I was terrified. That's what panic makes you feel, man. Mm. Um, I'm sure people that have it can totally relate what I'm talking about. So, yeah, the next day, my mom said, listen, I'm going to go up to the doctor tomorrow and um, see what he says. So, after the doctor, I went. I go in and exp- I was so happy that I'm going to go into a doctor and it's going to be sorted. Antidepressants. I'm like, but I'm, I'm not depressed. I remember the conversation clearly. Looking at me, the I'm like, I'm not depressed. I said, I have a great life. I have a great girlfriend at the time. I, I was actually trained to be a fireman paramedic in college, have a part-time job, playing football. I'm not depressed. He says, oh, but to treat anxiety disorders, these, this is the, the cycle, this is the medication that we give. So if the man in the white coat or the woman in the white coat says, this is what to take, off, off I went with some antidepressant pills. No explanation of what a panic attack is. Never told me they can't kill me, this, 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 not what not to do, what the, nothing. Here's some pills. See you later, 18-year-old Glenn. So I just started taking them. Not that, you know, I think I took around a month to start taking them. I'm like, I'm not taking them. Yeah. I kept going panic attack after panic attack. I quit college. I could no longer take the 45-minute train commute to college, so I quit. Um, I remember being in college one day with the asthmas, the, the suit that they put on to go into fires. And, to, and I was one of the best at that. I was always a team leader in it. always led people. And I had that on within 10 seconds. I like, get this off me. Get this off me. And I was panicking. And I told the course uh, instructors, like, this is what happened all day, like, literally two weeks ago. I had the so-called panic attack and they told me to take, you know, if you want time off. And with that, I was like, okay, I never went back. Mm. 
with them in college, quit my job and start doing all the behaviors that keep people in stuck in panic disorders and eventually agoraphobia. Remember the start of the disorder, I didn't want my mom to go to work. I was telling my mom, mom, I think that you come home, you're going to find your son lying on the, dead on the ground. Wow. <laughs> this is what, like, that's, panic is horrible, Tom. Yeah. I don't know if you ever had a panic attack is, it can never kill you. But man, you, it's a very, very intense form of fear. Mm. And, you know, you can only imagine, like, people are scared like that. Yeah, it's natural that they treat and, yeah, because um, it would have been a different story if I went to that doctor that day and he offered me great advice and what not to do and to do this and to do that and go see that person. It could have saved me a, a long, long time. You know, doctors aren't even educated on this type of stuff. Yeah. What were some of the behaviours that you were doing that was keeping you panicked? So... You know, what I would do then is I'd have this this thought process, this, like, I need to be close to medical help. Okay. So there's a fire brigade station five minutes from my house, and there's always, like, if you're trying to be a fireman, I thought this reel came in long ago, that you have to be a fully qualified paramedic also. So I knew that, okay, I knew these firemen could help. I'm not just there to put out fires. They're there to treat, like, a vast array of stuff like the boys having a heart attack like they'd be able to deal with that so I kept leaving my house in the middle of the night having a panic attack like who I am being unable to sleep and I'd, I'd walk mm. I'd leave my house in the middle of the night pitch black and walk over towards this fire brigade station and just being at the fire brigade station my heart rate would lower wow. my breathing would lower and I'd be like oh, I'm going to go home and try sleep now and the brain then associates that you can only be calm Glenn if you're beside that fire brigade station. So if you go 10 miles from home and you're right at the fire brigade station, you're going to have a really bad panic. You're not going to be able to calm down and something severe is going to happen to you. That was my belief. And I believed that for many years. So it's those type of things um, that keep people stuck in the cycle, you know, with, with no understanding. It took me five years to find a book. I read... I. I, I educated myself from day one about the, and I never found a book that really made sense until I, again, again, five years took me. Five years is way too late. Five months is almost too late because you're stuck in that disorder straight away. Yeah. That's how the brain behaves. Like, okay, this guy or woman believes that there's some really fearful out here. Let's do what we do best as human beings and survival mechanisms kick in all over the place. You're afraid to go to the local shop. You're afraid to jog. You're afraid to... I couldn't walk my dog to bloody the local park 15 minutes away. I always kept it at a one in five minutes. Mm. Hell, man, hell. And again, Tom, this wasn't 10 months. This was 10 years. Um, but life changed dramatically for me. And when I start talking about recovery, it's, man, it's, it's quite a unique story. It's really, it's like a movie, man. It's like a movie. It's crazy. <laughs> You know, we're like, do you want me to go on and talk about recovery? Yeah, let's do, let's do it. What was the book called? The book is actually by a lady called Dr. Claire Wilkes. She's actually an Australian physician who suffered herself. It's always the people who suffer from this that make the best books, that provide yeah. the best. They're the people specifically with panic disorder, I probably that understand the mind of someone who's gone through it. And they can dampen that fear for you. She explained every symptom, every thought, 
everything. And I, I finally read a book. I was like, wow. So this is the answer. This is, but it still took me five years to recover after that. Um, but just having an L manual there, like I'd read it every night. It was my Bible, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a comfort, isn't it? Knowing that. And having something to resonate to, because I imagine when you're going through something like that, I went through anxiety and it was just reading those books or listening to those podcasts and being able to resonate with someone thinking, ah, this, this is actually normal. And I think as men, men don't really talk about those things. You think, why am I feeling like this? This is, this is out of order. I, I can't talk to anyone else because they'll either make them worried or they won't get it. But actually it's the most important thing you can do. 100%. I think I was lucky in a way that I was always very expressive on my emotions. Yeah, and that's definitely what got me out of it. It definitely just talking to people, talking to people, and that like as men, like I the, the shame I carried with that, like not being able to work, quitting college, unable to have a romantic relationship. As a man, that's awful. I had no sense of self; it was all gone. But speaking about that brought was able to bring myself back and release that that pain because. You know, keeping it inside doesn't does no one any good. Yeah. No, we have to be speaking about everyone in the world's going to go through something that changes their whole life. Have to speak about it. It's so important, isn't it? And what happens to your friendships then in relationships? My friends are always there for me, but man, as time goes on, I don't blame yeah. them. I would say, I'll give you a scenario like it's a, it's a Thursday night and me and the lads are all out and on a walk or a cycle or whatever. And we say, let's meet up in the pub tomorrow. It's Friday. Let's go watch the Man United Liverpool game. It's on at four. Let's do it. We'll have some food. Lovely. Let's do it. We'll all agree. I'll agree. Soon as it comes then, I don't show up. They can't get in contact with me. I'm at home having panic attacks. I tried to get there, but I couldn't get on the bus. I can't say, hey, listen, guys, I can't get on the bus. They're like, what? I don't want to say that, yeah. you know, so I make up lawyers, not going to be there, but then lawyers catch up on you. Even your best friends, you know, will, no one likes that behavior. You know, we want to be honest with our best friends and I just couldn't, Yeah. you know, and then um, I lost friendships over that and even relationships, like seeing girls over it, like not girlfriends, but girls that I'd become close with and, you know, we're building a relationship and, It'd be like, hey, do you want to go for, do you want to go to cinema? And I'd be like, oh, I am. Um. At the start, I'd say, yeah, right, let's go to cinema. But there's one close to me. He wanted to go to the one that's like half an hour away. I was like, yeah. And you, it's a form of manipulation. I never knew. It's not a nastiness and manipulation to get your own. Okay, you're going to get in your own way in the end, but it's not a nasty, narcissistic type of um, manipulation, but it's mm -hmm. like, I manipulate, I was like, no, I don't really, I heard, you know, it's the, the popcorn's not good over there or something, you know? <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's better my way, because if we come to my cinema, then we can go home to mine and, you know, chill out for a bit. All right, then, yeah. And then I'll be like, lovely. You know, and it's those yeah. type of things that, like, you know, ask me then to go for a meal and I'll be like, I have the flu. And then, you know, those, that type of behavior just ate away at me. Get away, I mean, get away. It was those that that was, was slowly getting to yeah. me. Um, you can only imagine over years having that type of behavior. Yeah, of course, it's very hard, very hard to deal with. So the change then. So what sparked the change in your recovery? 
man, the changes. Now it turns into like a movie, man. <laughs> it's incredible, like how bad I was. And uh, so with my girlfriend now, I think we're together like five years now. Um, when I was going through my worst time, I decided to delete all social media. I was sick of seeing people that were having fun and I'm at home. You know, I was like, I'm just done. I can't even look at this. So I went into monk mode and deleted everything. And I was off it for like a year. No Facebook, no Snapchat. I think Snapchat was only coming in at the time. Mm. Nothing. I had nothing. And then I remember sitting in the house one day, kind of bored, you know, I kind of need some human interaction here. I decided that I'm not going, I'm going to sit, I'm going to look for a social media account. It's not going to be any of the main ones because I don't want anyone to know I'm on anything. So I, I went to this app called, it's called Pump Up. It's a, um, it's an app that's based off fitness and stuff like that. I don't know what's different. But anyway, I'm on this and me and this girl start looking at those pictures and you know how it starts. Um, and it was my, my girlfriend that I'm with now. Um, so our days and weeks, we we got chatting and stuff like that. Where you're from, age, what you do, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I probably said, obviously, I look I look back now. Probably what I said to her was like a big lie. Like, oh, I'm, college, <laughs> I'm trying to be a boy. Yeah. When I get that up like three, four years ago. Um, so we got talking and I decided to again, I set up a Snapchat there. And time went on, Tom. And eventually then over the course of a couple of months, she's like, I'd love to meet you. You're living in Paris. And she was so nice from day one. And I got so sick of my bull crap, bullshit, lying to women, lying to myself. And I was like, mm. I need to be here. For the first time, I said, listen, I can't come and see you. I'm, I have something that's called panic attacks and agoraphobia. I'm in Dublin right now and I can't even get on a bus. I can't hold down a full-time job. And I put it all out there because she deserved it. She was mm -hmm. sweet and she was really nice, you know. Um, and I was shocked with what she said back. She said, I'm going to come see you. And when she said that, I was like, I just told this girl I'm unemployed. <laughs> I have no money. I have. I can't even get on a bus, and she wants to come see me. Wow, that must mean something. And that's a very, it's a very special thing to feel from my point of view, where I was so vulnerable that someone's willing to say, "Hey, you've got basically what she says like so much more qualities than you know what you're currently struggling with." Anyway, we heard you saying that. I was like, "Okay, this is a really nice person," you know. Um, but she never came to see me because my girlfriend's Moroccan, so she's African, so she was getting visa issues. Okay. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to work on myself. Hopefully one day I can get to you. And where was she, she at the time? In Paris. In Paris. Two and a half years to nearly three years passed by. Still no, uh, I still haven't seen her. But we're still talking nearly every day. Uh, you know, and She'd send me cards and all, like, and biscuits, and, like, I, I believe in you, and you can do this. And it was just, she was so sweet, like, she was brilliant. And I remember one day, um, in, so I'm, I'm moving on to my 10th year with this now, Tom. Like, this is my 10th year is when I break free of this. Yeah. I was at my worst, man. I was, at, I was calling an ambulance to me. I was thinking I was dying with panic attacks. Wow. You know, um, multiple times a month, bringing ambulances. And um, my intrusive thoughts got worse. And um, I, 
but I couldn't go, as I said, more than two to three kilometers long. And that's crazy, man. For many years, I could not go three, three kilometers from home. It's not that I couldn't, I didn't. I didn't. I lived in a three kilometer radius and it, it broke my spirit. Completely yeah. broken, man. Completely broken. My face looked like this. I'm 75 kilos. No, actually, I'm around, I'm around 69 now. My heaviest, when I was training, I was 75 and I felt fantastic. Mm. That was right after recovery. But back in the 10th year, 59 kilograms. I saw the picture you put on Instagram a few weeks ago of when, when you're at your worst, this is how you look now. And, and what you put in the caption is you actually looked older then. And yeah, it, it's amazing. The yeah, difference. Man. 59 kilogram. I never forget it. Anyway, after that, then, uh, no, she, my girlfriend's like, you know, my, even her sisters know me to, at this point. I'm always talking to them. And, you know, when you're coming over, I'm like, but how am I going to get past? I can't even walk down to the end of my street. I'm going to have to start doing something here. And I remember one day, um, this is where I, I knew I have to change. It was Mother's Day. Mother's Day, um, you know, you're taking your mom out for, for food and stuff like that, which I never even did. Um, but all my siblings and all my aunties are going out for a meal. Um, it's a lovely summer's day. And I'm dressed, you know, got my hair cut and stuff like that, which I actually struggled to. I couldn't even sit in a barber's chair. But um, I got my hair cut, dressed all nice, and I'm ready to go. The car's come, and I'm like, Mom, uh, listen, I'm going to meet you there. My friend Paul is going to come down, and he's going to collect me in his car. Complete lie, complete bullshit, as usual, <laughs> to get out of the situation. And my mom knew my behavior from day one. She was like, okay. <laughs> so um, I know I have younger, younger brothers and younger siblings. Younger siblings, younger sister, two, two, two younger brothers and one younger uh, sister, um, which I adore and love to bits. They're great. Um, so they all went down for Mother's Day. And me, I stayed at home. And the minute that door shut, I burst out into tears as if like someone died. I couldn't stop crying. My whole T-shirt was covered in snots and, um, and tears. And I... I said, this is it. And I know what I've done. I put my jogging runners on, got into my shorts, put the top off, put it, got rid of all my, I had like bloody nearly a tuxedo on to go out to that meal. <laughs> all off. And I took my bag with water. And I said, I don't give a fuck what happens to me anymore. I don't care if panic kills me. I really don't. And I went on a run with the mindset of, I really don't care if panic kills me. I don't care if I collapse. I don't care if my legs fall off. I don't care if I have a heart attack. I'm going to go down to this place, which is six kilometers from home that I haven't done in years. I'm going to jog down. I'm going to jog back. And I was, my tears were coming down my face. I was bawling, crying, had my hood up in the middle of summer. People were looking at me. I didn't care. I was so in bits. I made it down six kilometers from home and I thought, I can't even remember getting down there. I was so emotional. Yeah. I was like, and it's down there, the beautiful part of the seaside. I'm like, I literally haven't been here in about fucking six years. And I soaked it in. I was like, and I'm still panicking. I'm still scared. But the, the beauty of it was like, I did, just the achievement. I'm here. And I'm, nothing's happened to me. I didn't have that heart attack that I feared for 10 years. Yeah. I didn't drop dead. My legs are fine. 
and then I jogged home. And nothing changed overnight, Tom. But five minutes, I didn't have, it wasn't that I didn't have anxiety, five minutes it was like, I achieved something there. I felt something different that I haven't felt for years. So the next day I said, I'm doing that again. I went and done it again. I went and done it again. I went and done it again. So I was doing this six kilometer radius. And at the start, I couldn't do half a kilometer from my house because I didn't want to go far from home in case I had a heart attack or far from the fire brigade station. So I'm doing this route. And after a month has passed and I've literally jogged, let's say 30 days in a month, I've jogged around 27. Yeah. The most consistent I've ever been in anything in my life. The second month I'm doing it again, but I'm no longer jogging 6K. I'm jogging nearly close to 10. Not every day. But I'm doing these long routes that I haven't been in a long time. And every time I met, every time I'm on the route, I'm having a panic attack. The panic attacks never left me. But I was moving forward with the panic. And I realized, holy shit, like I'm having a horrible panic attack here, but I'm making it out every time. Yeah. In the third month, man, I was sleeping with no anxiety. I was taking buses. I'd go on a run, 10K, jump on a bus and come home. I'm back on buses. I remember <laughs> taking pictures of it and all, like sending pictures to my mom, I'm on a bus. Look at me, I'm on a bus. It's crazy, man. You know, and then, you know, it gets better. Um, kept it up for around four months. And I remember one day I, I got a watch. I was so fascinated with it. Like, how, like, I got into the jogging then, you know. I was never a runner. And I, I said, Mom, I'm going to test this watch today. I don't know how far I'm going to run, but Mom, I'm going to run to the legs for it. like, great, go. <laughs> so um, off I ran. And this is me only ever jogging more than 11, just over 10 kilometers. And I jogged all the way up through Dublin, up to a mountain. And I have the picture on my phone. And I, I called my mom, like, Mom, guess where I am? She's like, where? I said, I'm on Hope Mountain. She's like, I know. I said, Mom, I swear, look, she's seeing, like, we could see our house from miles away. So she couldn't believe how far I went. Yeah. It was miles away from home. And that's when I believed, I'm, I'm, I'm flying here, man. This <laughs> yeah. is amazing. You could not wait to smile off my, I was running with smiling. Like, I don't know, people thought it was crazy. I was <laughs> talking to myself on the runs, like, Glenn, you know what, you're a beast. You're, pro- you're just, it was amazing. <laughs> and, I remember getting then to look at my watch then I was like, holy shit, 30K? 30K? 30K, man. I was like, holy shit. You know, and then it's that type of pattern. It's like, That's hey, amazing. if I was struggling with anything in my heart, do you think I'd be able to jog this type of And then all that heart issues and all that collapse is yeah. gone. So much freedom came back. It gets better. So I have no idea what the hell times is with marathons and stuff like that. So I decided to look at what is a marathon? So I'm walking home after that 30k and just, you know, relaxing to get that, you know, just a bit of recovery, start to walk, enjoy it. And I'm Googling, like, what's the marathon? 40 something k Okay, And then I said, half marathon's 22. And then while I'm Googling, I was like, the double marathon in three weeks. What a time. I went home to mom and said, mom, the double marathon's three weeks, I'm going to do. You know, I'm like, really? I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the marathon. Four months ago, I couldn't leave my house. For 10 years, that's the life I lived. It gets better. 
<laughs> so um, here I am, and I three weeks pass, and here I am about to run a fucking marathon. Man. My uncle drops me in the car. I was like, listen, I don't want you to be there. This is me. I don't want... He's going to meet me at the finish line in two or three hours or whatever. I just want to be dropped in here into the into the cage of terror. Yeah. And I'm, I just want to run this race alone because this isn't a race to me. This is my life. This is freedom. Mm. And I remember on that run, on that jog, man, my, you know, what's, there's a really bad injury getting your, on your right-hand side from too much jogging. I don't know what it is called. Um, but I had that before the race. I, was, mm. I couldn't even... Before the race, I couldn't run. Um, was, it tens- was it like tendonitis? Something like that, man. Yeah. Um, so before the race, I'd done a practice run and I couldn't jog two kilometers. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'll, 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 I'm running this with no leg. Um, so here I was running um, and then the injury picked up. I, I didn't stop. I kept going. Like, the pain of that is nothing compared to I went through my tennis. I'm competing this race. I'm not going to stop. Yeah. Um, so, man, I completed the race. And as I'm getting there, my mom is at the finish line. My auntie, young siblings. No, my siblings were all in work. Young cousins. It was just breathtaking, man. Breathtaking. It gets better. So I'm just absolutely buzzing. I can't believe what I just done. Like, literally, four months ago. You know, to be in that four months. Four months ago. So literally, it took me four to five months to recover from a 10-year anxiety disorder. Mm. You know, it's incredible how, you know, how neuroplastic the brain is when we really feed it what it needs and stop feeding all that fear. It just adjusts, you know. And um, so I'm in the car with my uncle and in my mind, I'm like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to Paris. And I got on and my girlfriend doesn't know anything about this. Um, so I, I, I book my tickets. I'm in the car and I'm booking my tickets. I'm like, I send my, girl, my girlfriend a screenshot. So this would be um, September um, was the race, the Dublin Marathon, and I booked it for October um, the 17th. So I was literally going in around 26 days or something until I got to Paris. So I booked a sender and I was like, I'm seeing you in like 20-something days. Like we haven't <laughs> made it ever, you know, and I'll never forget that day. I'll never, ever, ever, till the day I die ever forget that feeling of getting on the plane for the first time since it ever happened 10 years ago, my first panic attack at Lanzarote. I'll never, ever, ever forget that day getting on that plane. And again, I went in with the mentality of, I don't care what happens to me on this plane. Mm. Nothing's going to stop me from seeing this person. Nothing's going to stop me from experiencing life again. Nothing. But I, the, the four months of, almost five months of hard, hard, training and going into the panic going into the fear got me on that plane i didn't i would never be able to four months ago say Fuck, i'm just gonna get on this plane it's almost impossible for someone who's going through that there needs to be consistent level of a couple of months work before you get to these big goals yeah you know so in anything in life we want to achieve and you know not just overcome um, a panic disorder or agoraphobia so i got on this plane alone and um, and I'll never forget it, man. Never, ever, ever forget it. I remember the plane taking off, and I remember immediately thinking in my head, like, everything, like, was like a flashback, like, of 10 years of hell. Like, I'm free. And now, if you jet back, like, you're like, 
they've gone up and like, man, this is like putting everything behind me. I'm entering a different world now. And that that flight was so easy and quick, man. There was not one ounce of panic on it. In fact, listen, I did take um, not a Xanax tablet. A, 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 a lot of people take Neuroflame, but I had to take one on that plane. I didn't want that in it to happen. Yeah. Um, I took um, what, it, it, um, diazepam. Mm. I took one of them. I didn't care. I was like, I don't want to panic on the plane. Just let me go. Yeah. So I went on and I got off and I, here I am. I meet this girl for the first time in my life. I got off at Charles Gaulle Airport and it was just the best man. And I'm just, I think we hugged each other for around 20 minutes without letting go. And wow. We went through that disorder with me, man. You know, she's seen me like that. No money, no job. Um, she's seen me like that. And now, you know, here I am. We got the train down to about 40 minutes into the apartment where we are now. That was in 2019. And now, in 2019, I had the best time of my life. And um, I remember um, I didn't book a ticket. I never, it wasn't a return flight. I said, I'm going to book a ticket, go over and leave when I want to go back. So it lasted around six days. Like, okay, I'll go on home on the 7th. Yeah. Um, I wasn't home. I, so, when, oh yeah, sorry. When I returned home, I, it was like, life just changed for me that was it i'm finally free yeah and um, went to study personal training got fully qualified at that and also got my full-time job back and which i hadn't worked a day in my life for so many years not a day in my life i tried so many jobs i couldn't mm. hold it down how was that um, sorry how was that first day back Um, it was a bit anxiety provoking to be honest mm. yeah but i just i ran ran a 10k before i went in I went into work. Yeah. My way out back then, you know, to release all this excess adrenaline before I entered into situation. Um, so with that, man, the confidence that comes back, getting my first paycheck at the end of the month was like, it was like me receiving a million, probably only like less than 400 quid. But for me, it was like, like a million dollars going into that bank account. Yeah. I was like, I'm proud of that. You know, and then um, a month later, I'm back on the plane again. I couldn't. I couldn't resist. Paris took took over me, man. A month then I was in. Uh, so I went in October, November. Went for Christmas time in December. Went in January. Went in February. I went once a month for a couple of months uh, to see my girlfriend, um, and then you know, I'm a I'm a year here permanently. It's 2022, and yeah. That's the end of my journey. That's incredible. What was it like during the pandemic then when you were, you couldn't do as much, you were more locked in. How did you find that? And how was that with, with your anxiety? Yeah, so like around 2000, you know, at the start of the pandemic, it was always, before the pandemic started, it was always a plan that like, I'm going to move to Paris in the year. Like, well, let's do it in a year's time. You know, I want to, I'm only like working full time. I need to build up more money and my coaching clients back in personal training, I was trying to boost that. Um, so I was trying to build two incomes and build as much money as I can to move to Paris. But then the pandemic hit, didn't it? And my girlfriend got very low. I started feeling really depressed because she's a photographer over here and her work just... Mm. And then obviously trying to pay rent and stuff like that. And she was feeling very depressed and she was crying all the time. And this girl's been for me for, me for years. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to move over to you. And she was like, 
Are you serious? Like, yeah, I'll come next week. And I, I just packed my bags and I went and I took a plane to go over. And yeah, I'm here over a year now. And yeah. How is life there? You know, at the start, it's very, because, of, you know, the background of what I suffered with, mm. man, it was like heaven for me. This was just like, I can't believe I'm here. I'd be walking past the Eiffel Tower and <laughs> I could look, look at a seagull going past in the oil, uh, past the sky, like oh, a seagull in Paris. That's great. You know, like, police is not Dublin. Dublin is still beautiful, you know. But um, yeah, now I've been a year in it and been coming since 2019. I look at your type of scenario where you were with all that um, scenery. I'm like, oh, that's where I want to be. Yeah. But um, again, man, it's, I'm just so happy and so proud of where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think nothing could knock it off course where I am in Paris but it gets it gets quite hectic sometimes yeah. we're in a very quiet place which is great mm-hmm. but as we go on and we're moving in towards uh, Le Louvre and places like that it's bloody jammers man you know on sunny days and like, uh, but it's uh, yeah great life experience um, yeah I resonate with that as well living in Cardiff in a city I, I think you can tell like from my Instagram most weekends I'm out of there yeah, I'm in the mountains or doing something because I need that. I need that respite. I need that quiet, that calm. Um, not everyone gets it, but, you know, you do. We resonate with that. Absolutely. So what do you do then on the days where you're finding it tough, you're having those anxious thoughts? What's that almost the ballast that keeps you grounded and keeps you moving forward and make sure that you don't revert back to old ways, perhaps? Yeah, so as we're recurring from this disorder, you always wonder, will I, go back in? Will I have panic attacks again? What will happen? What will happen? I was in such a bubble of just happiness. Yeah. I didn't have a panic attack for like two years and very rarely like had any anxiety. If not, if not nothing, you know, nothing. Yeah. And then I remember one day um, in Paris, I got a call back home saying that um, my mom called me at like 11 p.m. before bed saying that my uncle has passed away. He's like a brother to me, you know, this is only a couple of months ago. And I, I ended up having a panic attack, you know. Yeah. Um, so the first one you've had in a while then? Yeah, it would have been the first time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like since I've recovered, since 2019, I've probably had around 10 panic attacks. Okay. But it's never what they used to be. It's just, here's a high sort of adrenaline in my body. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be running to a fire brigade station. I'm not going to be running an ambulance. It's, it's adrenaline. It's oh. adrenaline. And when, when I know it's that, then I'm like, okay, what's really stressing me? You know, and I, I look back then, and there's always something. There's always a stressor that will be affecting, you know, that my nervous system to put it into a state of panic. Yeah. Um, or it could be random. I've had at least three or four out of 10 panic attacks over the, since I've recovered, I've had around 10 panic attacks and about four or five have been on the underground metro when it's super hot and I literally can't move in it. Mm, yeah. It's just some old patterns, I think, you know, but um, obviously just stay on and once I'm off, okay. That's it. That uncomfortable five, 10 minutes is just gone. And I'm going at home to have a nice meal. We were back then when I was uh, stuck in disorder. I'd be like, oh, what is that? What is that? all day I'd be thinking about that. Panic. But now it's just five, 10 minutes and it's gone. And that's that, you know. But uh, exercise is huge. Yeah. Exercise. What about exercise. diet, breathing exercises, things like that? Do you do cold water stuff? I have, I, I've been having cold showers two three times a day for like two years now yeah game changer yeah, yeah absolutely you know and even after this like i'm jumping in i've already had them this morning 
mm. and I'm jumping in. Like, I always try to push myself, and I can't find me. It's kind of like, it's warm <laughs> after that, you know? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. What about um, like diet and things like that? Because I'm so interested in this topic. I remember talking to Harvard professor on here and um, she spoke about like things like exercise and diet and, and what you put in your body is, is so crucial, you know, caffeine and alcohol and and just just the diet like of, of what you eat. It can either heighten you or it can calm you. So what, what do you do? Are you into all that? Man, listen, when I was going through anxiety disorder, I was obsessed about this stuff. Mm. You know, I was obsessed about um so when I was around, so my 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 disorder started at age eighteen, and you know, as I kept it around age twenty four, I uh, became a vegan. You know, I'm not I'm not a vegan anymore, but I remember when I'm saying like I became a vegan, stopped eating meat, and I stopped drinking alcohol. I was like, this has to work now. Like it's definitely got to do with what I'm putting into my body, and the panic attacks kept coming. So I knew it was okay. This is psychological. It's not about. Mm. not drinking alcohol you know actually one of the best things that came from that panic disorder is i haven't had a drop of alcohol in eight years wow. i never went back to drinking alcohol that's yeah that's same. Um, i'm very proud of that that's something that um i'm happy that i had the panic disorder to stop me from drinking alcohol because i had this thing like the, these panic attacks are starting because of what i put into my body you know and then um, so with doya i became very interested in it as well tom um, I stopped drinking caffeine and stuff like that. Um, start drinking, like, having oat milk instead of milk. and um, Got a bit obsessive about the whole thing. Um, but now my diet's totally different. I, I, don't, I still haven't had coffee, but I, I love my tea. Still haven't had alcohol. Um, you know what? I still haven't had meat. I eat fish, and I eat tons of fish. So whatever they call and label that pescatarian, I don't know what yeah. they call I love fish. I love eggs. I'll have the likes of um, oats, avocados, berries. Mm. But last night I had a pizza and chips with a can of Coke. You know, so I'm not as restricted. Yeah, got to have that you know, balance. Yeah, absolutely. And I really enjoyed it. And it was beautiful. Mm. You know, but um, everything in moderation, 100%. So what's your experience like with living away from home now? Because one of your biggest things was being away from home, hoping that your family would be safe. So what's it like now being away from home and, and how do you manage that? Man, you look at the relationship I had with my mom. My mom pregnant at age 16 with me. Okay. You know, and then yeah. that natural kind of connection was always there at me and my mother. You know, and then I even was made worse by the trauma I experienced, like, I need to be glued to my mother, like, I need to protect her. Yeah. And even now, like, I'm always, every day I talk to her. Every day, you know, text and a call. Yeah. You know, without fail. I've never, I'm here over a year now, I've never, not messing with my mom or ring her one day. So having that connection and moving away, very, very challenging, man. Yeah. You know, and it's the best thing I've ever done. It's, enabled me to feel like my true power my like I'm my own safe place and we only get one shot of life I know it's all cliche and we hear this all the time from all but it's true it's so true and my mom's so happy for me my mom's like this is like my mom's I said mom how do you feel like me moving away to this guy 
I'd rather you move to the other side of the world and be happy rather than yeah. see you again staying in this house suffering with panic disorders. Yeah. And panic I'd, I'd rather you move to the desert <laughs> and be happy. Yeah. And once I, and I knew I believed her, you know, and knowing that that's my mom's mindset helps me, but it also helps me to know that I'm surrounded by love where I am. I have an amazing uh, partner and we have a dog and she's a blessing. Like she's a magical dog. She's great. So being with love, any place I go is, um, I'm very, very lucky. So yeah. that makes it easier being away from home. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, mate. And yeah, it's, I just want to thank you. I've still got one question, but I just want to thank you for being so open and vulnerable because I think some people listen to this, they will have felt anxiety maybe for the first time in their life or panic attacks for the first time in their life because of the pandemic. And now life is becoming more and more normal. They might have changed the way they do things. They might not be able to get on that bus or get on that train or do things the, the, the way they used to. So listening to your story is really going to help and resonate with people and hearing it from someone like yourself who has overcome it is so powerful. So for someone who is potentially going through something like that, what would the first step be for them? Education. Okay. You have to be educated on what a panic attack is. I'm not talking about like just read up panic attack can't kill you. I mean, get the science. Mm. Panic, no one has ever died of a panic attack ever. And no one ever will, you know, get educated on the subject, take the fear out of the panic. Because you can even just having the education. Because I was stuck in it for so long, I needed more than education. I needed behavioral change. But with just education alone, you can cure panic attacks. You know, and I, I heard one psychologist saying before that panic attacks, in regards to the whole spectrum of mental health, are one of the most easy disorders to treat. So, you know, you can get on top of them, go on to never have them again in your life. So, education, education is key. What's the best literature, do you think, to read? You mentioned that book before. Is there anything else that you get people to read or follow or listen to? Yeah. There's kind of a couple of gurus in the old language. Mm. There's one lady, um, her name is Dr. Claire Weeks, okay? She has a book called Hope and Help for Your Nerves, and that's like a bloody Bible for anxiety disorders. Mm. Also, I'd highly recommend the author called Jeffrey Hammes, and he has a book called The Panic Switch, He's based his work off Clear Weeks, but this guy is a scientist that suffered for 15 years. It's all the people who suffered. Yeah. And I wouldn't even go past even mention that other book. You know, you can go into the other books. One of them is uh, Paul David, The Last of Life. I think he deserves a, a special mention as well. Mm. Other than that, that's all we really need. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. That's honestly brilliant advice. And I always finish the uh, every podcast I do with this last question, and it's, what is the best advice you've ever received? Or it could be a lesson that you've learned and you just live by every day. Man, I remember in regards, this is more advice for people who are struggling with mental health panic attacks. One of the best quotes I ever heard was, I hope I can get this right off the bat. <laughs> it's like the fear of missing out on life is worse than any fear that panic attack would bring. Yeah. The fear of watching a life go boy is way worse than any fear of a panic attack. That's sometimes that pushed me towards my goals, hearing that voice. It's spot on. Missing out on life very horrible. Yeah. Glenn, thank you for your time, mate. It has been an honor to talk to you. And it's it, you know, I followed you for a year, like I said earlier, and I thought I knew your story. 
just some following you and messaging you a little bit on Instagram. And, but this has just elaborated so much more about what it was actually like. And those little steps to get into where you wanted to go, the running, the diet, the not drinking, all those little 1% things, the, the love that you have with your girlfriend and your mother and your family. It's, it's all amazing. So thank you for being so open and vulnerable and honest, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thomas, listen, the pleasure's all mine, man. Absolutely fantastic. And love what you do too. And hopefully I'll be in, in, in your physique now in the next six months. So I'm working on it. <laughs> we'll meet in Paris and go for that run. Show me how it's um, done. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs>